Thank you for coming back, for being here. Uh, it's really nice to not have an empty building. First uh, John, in your Bibles. We are continuing there. We should get through chapter 4 tonight. Um, I say should, but we will. Okay. Um, so we've been in First in John for several weeks, and uh, the last few weeks have been in this section in chapter 4, dealing with the love of God, as John explains that and, and teaches, um, teaches us about the love of God and how to think about it, how to rightly understand it, and no different tonight. We're, we're continuing in that in chapter 4, and this whole last section finishes up with John talking more about love. Um, the love of God, and um, also with, he'll end this chapter with some reminders of some things that he's already said. So, um, last week we were reminded that God loved us, not just that He loved us, but He loved us in a very particular way by sending His Son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins. And if you remember what that word is, that, that word is talking about Christ as the satisfaction. He, he satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. He took our place. Um, that's what that word is getting at there, that, that He became the propitiation for our sins, taking on what we deserved, which was the wrath of God. And there is no greater act of love ever shown. I think we as Christians who have an understanding of our, our salvation in Christ, we, we know People could bring up all kinds of stories, examples of love that they've seen or experienced here on earth. There's nothing that anyone could ever come up with that would be a greater act of love than what Christ did in forgiving sinners. Um, This kind of love we saw originates with God. His very essence is love, and love comes from Him. John emphasized this by saying that it's not that we have loved God, He wanted us to have the right thinking there. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us. Okay, so so before you you pat yourself on the back about loving God, we need to know that we didn't, we couldn't, and we wouldn't love Him at all, ever, unless He first loved us. And that's reassuring for us as Christians. That tells us something about our God. So we'll praise God for His grace and mercy towards sinners like us, right? So today we'll see that John is still talking about God's love and its effects on those whom He's saving. We saw back in verse 12 uh, in chapter 4 from a few weeks ago, we saw there that John referred to love as being perfected in us, okay? And, And we're going to see John's focus on that again here in verses 17 and 18 today, this idea of love and and perfect or being perfected. Since he's talking about this so much, we should understand what John meant by what he wrote here. What did he say in the original language of the Bible that we have translated as the word perfected? So I have a question then before we do that. When you hear the word perfect or perfected, what immediately comes to mind regarding the meaning? Without blemish, okay. What was that one? Your wife? Is she watching this at home? Okay. 
I want to, she can't see you, so I won't tell her who said that. <laughs> uh, anything else? What do you think of? You think of Jesus? Okay, I think we can all agree on that. All right. Any other thoughts on what you think of when you hear of perfect? Not you, okay. There's some real humility back there. Um, that's good. Um, yeah, we think, we think it means love without error, right? We, if it's perfected in us, then we love perfectly. We love without defect. But that's not what John is talking about. The word that John wrote here has the meaning of uh, that which is complete or something that has reached full maturity. And some of your translations might already use the word complete there, um, but most say perfected. So he's not suggesting we are trying to reach the ability to love without defect. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the love of God being mature or complete in us. Okay, that a mature or complete love has certain effects on our thinking and our behavior as Christians. And we'll look at a couple of those effects today, but first let's read our passage with that definition in mind. Okay, so we're going to be looking today at 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. I'll be through the end of the chapter. So let's look at starting at verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come before you tonight, opening up your word, reading it now and hearing those words, we ask, Father, for your help. We ask that you would teach us, uh, that you would guide our thinking, that you would bring about a humility in our thinking. Lord, whenever we open your word and read it, may we be ready to cast aside anything that we have understood wrongly to embrace the truth of your word. And we pray, Father, that you would teach us tonight through your spirit. And we always ask, Lord, and desire that any of us that are leading and teaching your word would do so rightly so, Father, I ask for help as I bring your word to the people. We thank you, Lord, that your word is so powerful, so trustworthy, so complete and able to prepare us, to provide for us everything we need for life and godliness. And we praise you for it. We thank you for the love that you have shown us through sending your Son we thank you for our salvation that's found in him and him alone. In his name we pray, amen. So 1 John 4, 17, by this is love perfected with us, 
so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. He says, John here writing says, by this is love perfected or made complete or mature with us. By what? He says by this, by what? By what is it perfected? Is it by what he's about to say or about what he's already said? Yeah, I believe it's about what John has already said. Okay, so let's look back at verses 15 and 16 here for uh, the context. Chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Those verses are talking about how the work of Christ as the propitiation for our sins is then applied to individuals. The work of Christ is applied through the confession that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Okay? That, that confession includes not just those words, right? I confess that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not just those words, and we talked about that before, but the belief that the person and work of Jesus Christ in all its fullness is necessary for salvation of sinful men, completely apart from any other source. That's that confession about Christ as the Son of God, all His person, all His work. Then and only then does a person abide in Christ and He in them. And this is important to get here. The knowledge of this abiding is what John is referring to when he says in verse 17, by this. Okay, this knowledge about Christ. By this, he says, love is perfected with us. By the knowledge of the reality of Christ abiding in us and we in him is love perfected in us. Again, we can we can have feelings, we can have emotions because of this. But it is not about feelings and emotions. It is about the knowledge of the truth. That knowledge brings about certain effects, some of which are feelings and emotions. We we can sit here and we sing these songs and emotions well up within as we hear the truth about Christ as our sure and steady anchor. Okay, it's truth that brings about emotions, not the other way around. Okay, so I want to talk about these effects, um, the, the knowledge that brings about certain effects. In other words, God says, you will be saved if you repent from your sin and put all your trust for salvation in the work of Jesus Christ alone then He will abide in you, and you will abide in Him forever, with no chance of being lost, no chance of His rejecting you ever. Do you believe that? If so, it is by this confession, love is perfected with us. And there is a reason why we need to grasp this truth. There are are and should be certain effects from love being complete or perfected in this way. That is what John talks about in the next section of verse 17, if you, if you look there. That's a, and that what we just did, that's a lot of background to get to the point of the power of perfected love in the believer. 
But it is so worth it to understand what we can know as Christians. As we've been going through this book of 1 John, we've seen a lot of places where John says, we can know. He's telling us, we can know for sure. And this is one of those ways. So here's John's reason why we need to understand this truth. It is because of the next truth in verse 17, where he says, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Okay? That is so important for us to understand. Why? Well, because there is a day of judgment. It's coming, right? We we can't escape it. We're going to get to the end of this life and face judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We must all appear. When we went through the book of Malachi, if if you were here for that study, we heard these words about this day, Malachi 3, 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. Okay, well, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. No one can stand. No one can endure that day. There's a certain level of fear about that in the minds of human beings. But, but what John is talking about for Christians here is that they are different. Okay, they have confidence or boldness, yours, yours might say, in this day. Confidence or boldness in that day of judgment. Okay, well, when you hear that someone is confident or bold, how do you normally picture that person? I don't know why, but for some reason, this image popped into my head of John Travolta walking down the sidewalk in Saturday Night Fever, strutting, you know, with his butterfly collar and his shirt buttoned down, and, you know, I, I think that popped into my head for some reason. I don't know what you guys thought about, but I thought about arrogance, pride. Any other thoughts on that? What do you think of when you picture someone who's confident? John Wayne, Okay. All right, that's, that's better than John Travolta. <laughs> Clint Eastwood. Drill sergeant. <laughs> Drill sergeant. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so I think what most commonly comes up, even when you think about those names, you know, we mentioned a list of names there, is we can think of arrogance or pride. It usually goes along with, in our day and age, when we talk about confidence or boldness. And that confidence, really, when you think about it, even though all those names, right, the confidence that they have is in themselves and in their own ability. That's what we're talking about. We don't typically talk about a person as being confident because of someone else's ability, right, or someone else's achievements. But that is what John is talking about here. This is not about arrogance or pride. This isn't even about confidence or boldness in ourselves. This is about the confidence or boldness that comes from the knowledge of what God has done, okay, how He has loved us, and what He has promised to those who trust Him for salvation. It's a confidence or a boldness in that and because of that. And that is in someone else's achievements, not our own, right? That's, that's in the achievements of Christ on the cross. And think about this confidence that John is talking about. I came up with a little illustration. It may fall apart. I don't know, but we'll see. 
Okay, so let's say I lived in a house in the woods, okay, and you came over to help me with a project one night. Um, it got to be dinner time, and, and I told you that my neighbor cooked us some nice, juicy, hot, juicy steaks, okay, but didn't have time to bring them up to the house because he had to be somewhere. So the neighbor put the hot, juicy steaks on a plate and put them in my mailbox, okay? The mailbox, however, is at the end of my dark, 100-foot-long gravel driveway, and there are some scary woods on either side of the driveway. There have also been some mountain lion and bear sightings in the area. Now, since I'm up on a ladder, I'm busy with my project, I can't go do it, so I ask you to walk down to the mailbox at the street and get the hot, juicy steaks for us to eat. So what are some things you would consider or be concerned about? Cold steak? Okay. It is, it is about dinner time right now. What was that? A bear, okay. Okay, bears probably like hot, juicy steaks. And here you are, you're going to walk up the driveway with a hot, juicy steak and a plate. What else? Yeah. You wouldn't go. Okay, all right. What are some things that might be considerations? Okay, you, you got to bring something for protection. Okay, uh, okay. You can't take the car. Um, it's out of gas. <laughs> you got to go on foot. There's no bikes either. Uh, you have a 100-foot ladder? Oh, if you want to carry a ladder to protect you, I don't know. I'd rather have a gun. Um, what else? It's dark. What about something to be able to see? Right? Flashlight. Well, what are those considerations out there? Well, the boogeyman might be out there, right? We, we didn't even mention the mountain lions might be there. They, I'm sure they like hot, juicy steaks. And um, the last thing on my list was the steaks getting cold. So, Matt, you know, you, you, put, you put that first. But Okay, so we had a list of things, a list of things to consider in this scenario here. Well, why didn't any of you mention being worried about stepping on a rock and hurting your foot in the gravel driveway? Because you have shoes on? Okay. Have you ever tried to walk on a gravel road in your bare feet? If you have sensitive feet like most people, well, like me in particular, you can't just willy-nilly rock, walk or run across gravel or bumpy asphalt or something like that. Okay? It causes you to pause and slow down. If you're like me, you're basically tiptoeing, and every little pebble is just killing you as it digs into your heel, right? And you're grimacing in the pain. If someone said, go, go run down that road in bare feet, you'd have some level of fear about the pain. But if you have shoes on, it changes everything. Okay, you, nobody even mentioned a fear of their feet being hurt on the gravel road. It's dark, right? But none of you even mentioned that, I think, because everybody assumed, well, I'd have shoes on. Okay, you're, you're going to run down the road and someone uh, says, aren't you worried about the rocks? And you say, well, I have shoes on. Why would I have to worry about that? I wasn't even thinking about that. It's not even a thing, right? The fear of the rocks digging in my feet because I have shoes on. Why is it not a thing? Because you have shoes on. You know you will not experience the pain because your feet are protected by being in the shoes. This makes you bold. It makes you confident without even thinking about it, right? I, you don't even think about that. It didn't come up in the list, right? Not bold and confident in an arrogant way, but that you are free from that worry and the thought of that pain does not enter in. 
There's all kinds of other things I might think about, the bear and the, the mountain lion and all that, but not my feet. That is the kind of confidence that John is talking about. Your feet are in shoes, removing the fear of pain. You don't even think about it. So too, when your life is in Christ, it removes the fear of death and judgment. When we think about the day of judgment to come, we don't ignore it as if it's not coming or not real. It it is on both accounts. We also do not need to fear it as Christians. That fear is taken care of because of the fact that we have put on Christ. That's the kind of confidence that John is talking about. It's a confidence that you don't even necessarily have to think about. You shouldn't have to think about. I can run out to the ice cream truck with my shoes on. I'm not worried about the driveway poking my feet. But if I was barefoot, it would take me longer to get there. I'd I'd be afraid ahead of time of 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 the pain. But on the day of judgment, Christians don't have to fear. If you are in Christ, you do not have to fear judgment. And there's a confidence there. There's a boldness there. It frees you, right? In the example, if I had shoes on and I'm running down that driveway to get those stakes, that is not on my list of worry in my feet. They're taken care of. Other things I'm thinking about, yeah, but I don't have to worry about that. Just like us here on earth, as we live our Christian lives, there are all kinds of things for us to think about and do. But being condemned to eternal hell is not one of them. That fear is gone in Christ. Okay? We don't ignore the fact and the reality of judgment. It is real, and we need to remember that because then we remember what our Savior did for us. And we can also remember there are those who are lost still, and they need to be freed from that. And this is this that John is talking about, this is about trusting so much in the truth of what God has promised that we can live free of any fear of death or judgment. Because that is where everyone is prior to salvation, in a place of fear. The fear of death is like, it's a form of slavery or control. It controls your life. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise, it's talking about Jesus, partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death We're subject to lifelong slavery. He delivered us from that fear. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, if you would. And the author of Hebrews continues later on in chapter 10 to talk about the results of Christ destroying the hold the power of death has on people. He talks about what we are now able to do because of the work of Jesus. In chapter 10, verses 19 through 23. Okay, he's talking here about the, the, the sacrifice of Christ, Christ as, as the sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, there's that word again, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You hear that? There's, a, there's confidence, not a confidence or a boldness in ourselves, in our own abilities, but in what Christ has done. Okay? Remember back to chapter 2 in, in our First John passages um, and verse 28 where John spoke about the, the same kind of confidence. And this is not a suggestion for some Christians, that some Christians can be confident or bold. This is a biblical truth that all Christians can and should rely on for comfort, for assurance, for confidence. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to your old way of thinking. Don't go back to an old way of fear and of works and all those things. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And, there, and he says, stand firm, therefore. That's what John is after in his passage, too, that, that the Christians would stand firm. What does this next part mean in our, in our first John passage? Uh, in verse 17, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Okay, he did not say, I want you to notice, he did not say, so should we be. He said, so also are we in this world. Did you hear the difference there? This is not about working for something. This is a declaration that the work is already done. Okay, because of Christ, you are as he is. This goes to the doctrine of justification. Christians are declared righteous by God through repentance and faith in Christ. You're not righteous because of your righteous deeds. And we should all understand that. We, we are not righteous because of our, of our own righteous deeds. And you have not been even declared righteous by God because you became righteous. Okay? That's not the truth. You are declared righteous because the righteousness of Christ has been credited to you. Okay, when, when you are saved, you are completely justified in Christ. It is done and settled, never to be lost. You are positionally sanctified, set apart, made holy by God because of Jesus' work. God now sees you as He sees His only Son. Isn't that amazing? sort of hard to grasp. So John says, as he is, so also are we in this world. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake he, be, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But since we're still here, um, still in this body of flesh, we are in need of what is called progressive sanctification, Right? Positionally, we are sanctified already in Christ. It's a done deal. But we are a work in progress in that, in that sense as, as God continues the work of making us more like His Son in, in, in a practical sense. Uh, Philippians 1.6 talks about that. Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And do you hear the assurance in that? He said he is sure of this, that he who began a good work, God, will bring it, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
Okay, we're talking about that day, that same day that John's writing about. God has promised to bring it to completion. John goes on to speak further of the benefits of the love of God perfected in us. Look with me at verse 18. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This verse now makes more sense in light of what we've been learning. When we understand the love of God and what it accomplished um, on our behalf, the fear of the day of judgment is removed. And not just removed, what does John say there? Perfect love does what to fear? Cast it out. How? Well, John brings up judgment again, and he reminds uh, us of the, that the fear we experience in life has to do with punishment. Think of the day of judgment again. Now, now John talks about what the unbeliever is experiencing in this, in this verse, not the believer. The unbeliever here is referred to as whoever fears. Okay, he's talking about unbelievers. He says, whoever fears. Since fear has to do with punishment, they are still living in fear of that day. You, you want proof someone is not a believer? They are terrified of God and His coming judgment. Now, this does not mean that a true believer can never forget or fall into a place of fear for a time. But this is only temporary for a true believer. Okay, through the Word of God, other believers, the help of the Holy Spirit, they will be restored. Okay, their, their minds renewed in the truth and come back to a place of trust. That's what we do as Christians. So, if you're thinking about your own self and thinking, man, there's been times where uh, I've had some fear. That's only temporary for believers. You need to open your Bible. You need to remember the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, His promises. You need to talk to other believers. Be reassured by the truth. Don't dwell in that place of fear because of what John says about those here, that those people are unbelievers who, who dwell in that place. We need our minds renewed. So, uh, Psalm fifty-one, twelve. the psalmist writes, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Why does he need it restored? He's, he's struggling. He's going through a hard time. There's some, some fear there. There's some doubt there. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. This is a prayer, right? And uphold me with a willing spirit. It's, that's a good prayer for us as Christians. When you find yourself in that place, praying, asking God, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I've, I have forgotten. I, am, I, am, I have fallen into a place of doubt. Restore it to me. That's, what, that's what's going on in that prayer. And this is John's point in saying that perfect love casts out fear. When you understand the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you know you are saved according to the word of God, that fear is cast out. That's why he's talking about confidence and boldness. That the knowledge of this truth, as you remember it, when it comes about in your mind, wait, my sins are forgiven. I'm in Christ. There is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, according to the Scriptures. So therefore, I have confidence 
to live my life. Not arrogance. I don't go around like, hey, I'm saved. You know, What's wrong with you? Uh, but it's a confidence, it's a boldness without that fear of condemnation hanging there anymore. That fear of death, it's not hanging there anymore. Perfect love casts out fear. We're reminded what Paul wrote in Romans 5, 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. And this is not a suggestion. It's not a maybe. You know, this is the Word of God making a promise to you. If you have been justified by the blood of Christ, how much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God? It's, it's an absolute. It's the truth. But when a person says they're a believer, but they live in a place of constant fear and there's no remedy, they should examine their profession of faith. Are they truly a believer? No, John would say. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. In other words, they have not received the peace of God that comes from the forgiveness of sins. John repeats now, continuing on in the last three verses of the chapter. These will go kind of quick here. Um, several points he's already made in this letter. Now he's, he's repeating them again in light of his teaching on the love of God and its power to save and, and cast out fear. He seems to be using what he wrote about the love of God uh, um, and what it has shown sinners to make you, you see in a fresh way what he recently said. Look at his final points and see if they're not familiar to what we've looked at already through this whole letter. First uh, John 4, starting verse 19 through the end. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Okay, You see those same points, they sound familiar to you guys? Yeah, he's already mentioned these things. Um, they're repeated here for emphasis. He's, he said them earlier, he's given us teaching on the love of God and now he's repeating these things again. And he starts with this repeat. We love because he first loved us. A very clear point from, from last week. Then um, a person can say, I love God. But if they hate their brother, they're found to be a liar. Meaning they're not, they're not saved. It's an impossibility to have both of those things. John makes it clear that there is something about some connection between not loving a person who you can actually see and then saying you love God who you cannot see. John says, no way. Impossible. He says, they, his words, they cannot love God. It's impossible. They are liars. Maybe they are sincere in their words. Maybe they sound really sincere in their words to you. But in reality... They're liars. John, does, John doesn't beat around the bush here, does he? I mean, he doesn't leave wiggle room. There's, there's no wobbly, unsure speech here. John is clear that that person is a liar. 
Look at how they treat brothers and sisters in Christ. If they hate them, they cannot and do not love God, no matter what they say. So he ends this chapter with the familiar call to Christians to love one another. Not just a call, but a command. You and I don't have a choice here. We went over this before, when the first time he's brought this up a couple times, actually, in this, in this letter. Love for the brethren as proof of salvation. In fact, here John says, this commandment we have from him. Who's the him? Jesus. Yeah, It's, it's not a commandment from John. This is from Jesus. It's from Christ. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. To do otherwise is evidence you are not a Christian. It's a simple biblical truth. John wrote about it in his gospel. We've gone back here before, John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's really a simple verse, right? But why is it so hard to love other people? (laughs) People make it really hard, right? If they made it easier, I would do it. (laughs) No, this this is a command. It is a command from God. And this is, remember, this is agape love. This is a a love of the will. I choose to love this person because Christ chose to love me. And I was not lovable. So I don't wait for someone to become lovable. I love them even as they're my enemy. And that's what Christ did. I was his enemy, and he loved me. And we know from last week for sure what kind of love that is, that he became the propitiation for my sins. There's no better love than that. So, that wraps up chapter 4. As John has spent the whole chapter basically talking about the love of God. Uh, He started it out, if you remember, about not believing every spirit. Test, Test the teachings of people, right? Every spirit, we talked about those spirits. There are the teachings of people, the teachings of men. Test them with the Scriptures. And he went on then to finish up with the love of God and how amazing that is. And he's, he's reassuring these believers. Remember, they have a lot of false teaching coming their way from the Gnostics and others. Uh, and John is shoring them up in the truth of who they are in Christ. And then, so chapter 5, we're, we'll start next time. That's the last chapter of the book. Um, and it's a good one. So it's not as long. There's only 20, 21 verses. Hey, the exact same amount of verses as chapter 4. I just realized that. So, we'll continue that next time. Really grateful for everybody that continues to come. And uh, let's close in a word of prayer. If you want to stick around after, we'll have a time of Q&A. Nobody has to stay, but if you'd like to, we'd love to have you stay. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for today and for, for this time of reading your word and being taught. And Father, we thank you. First of all, for the love that you showed us through uh, sending your Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We, we pray, Father, that you would help us. Help us to love one another. Truly, Lord. Help us not to just say it. Help us not to say we love you and, and then hate our brethren. Lord, I pray that we would love others as you have loved us. And that we would think about what that means that we would think about the wretchedness of our own sin and how you loved us even, even so. 
And may we treat others the way you treated us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, strengthen us for that, remind us of, of, uh, to be people that are humble and care about others. And Father, uh, we pray that you would remind us if anyone here even now is struggling with fear of the day of judgment, Lord, that if they are truly a believer, that you would refresh their mind tonight, that you would release them from that burden because of the truth of who they are in Christ. There is no more fear of that. Father, if they're not a believer and they truly should be fearing that, and I pray you convict them of that, that they would come to saving faith in you through the work of your Son. We praise you, Lord. We want you to be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.